but I do have one that I'd like to share. So Jack and I watched three of our grandkids for a few days while Dave and Jamie were out of town. So I went in to wake up the girls for school. I told them I'd wake them up at 6 o'clock, but I ended up waking them up at 6.15. So as I went into the room, I said to, uh, to wake them up, I said to my grandgirls, I said, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm a little bit late, but Nana was working on her lecture. And my nine-year-old granddaughter, Emery, said, Nana, isn't a lecture when you yell at somebody? <laughs> there must be some lecturing going on in their home. Uh, but be assured, ladies, I'm not going to yell at you this morning. <laughs> um, Acts 17.31 says, Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. God has fixed a day in which he will judge the world. Ladies, that day is coming. During the tribulation, Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet will set up their world system economically, politically, and spiritually, which we, will, which we have seen from the previous chapters. In chapter 16, verse 17, we ended with the words, it is done. The last bold judgment had been poured out, the final outpouring of God's wrath on sinners will culminate into the worst calamities the world has ever seen. And Babylon, the capital of the Antichrist Empire, will receive the harshest outpouring of God's wrath. After that, Jesus will come and set up his millennial kingdom. John was told in chapter 14, verse 8, and in chapter 16, verse 19, that Babylon is doomed to destruction. And this destruction of Babylon in chapter 16 is now described in greater detail in chapters 17 and 18. Chronologically, chapter 16 is followed by chapter 19, which we're going to study next week, with the return of Christ. So what we are seeing in chapters 17 and 18 is the description of what is being judged, namely Babylon which is the Antichrist world empire, both religious and political. So we begin in chapter 17 with the religious Babylon. For this, I'm going to jump down to verse 5 to begin to identify the name. And the verse says, And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon, the great mother of prostitutes, and the earth's abominations. This is the name of the final world religion. Having been created with the need to worship, man has sought to find something or someone to fill that void. So it's no surprise, because of this fallen world, that false religion will play a major role in the end times. But false religion didn't originate during the tribulation. It began back in Genesis 11, verses 1 through 9, with the Tower of Babel. Noah and his descendants, after traveling east after the flood, thought it a good idea to build a monument to themselves instead of the God who saved them. So because of their blatant defiance and rebellion, God changed their language and dispersed them over the face of the earth, taking their false religion with them. Through all of history, Babylon has been the center of false religion, and all false religion will come back to Babylon where it started. 
So this mystery, Babylon, does not refer to a geographical location. It is Babylon in mystery form, a secret reality to be revealed in the end times. And since Babylon is the source of all Earth's idolatry and her far-reaching influence, she is described as being great. So all false religions, mysticism, Buddhism, Hinduism, etc., all will culminate in the end times, producing massive idolatry. It will be far-reaching and all-encompassing. I think of those bumper stickers that say, coexist. The world for a long time has sought for all religions to come together to coexist. And they will finally come together only to be destroyed in one great act of divine judgment. So Babylon is next, next described as the mother of prostitutes and abominations on the earth. All false religions and idolatry are described in scripture as harlotry or prostitution. And all false religions and idolatry immerse their worshipers into spiritual adultery who, then, who are then deceived and kept from worshiping the true and living God. This is the spiritual side of Satan's world empire. So having identified and described the one world religion, we go back to our text in verses 1 through 6 where we read, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality, and those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was clothed in, in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a gold cup full of abominations and the impurities of the unclean things of her immorality. And on her forehead a name was written, a mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth, and I saw a woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. When I saw her, I wondered greatly. Verse 1 identifies the angel speaking as one of the seven angels who had poured out the bowls of God's wrath in chapter 16. This angel now addresses John, inviting him to come and see the judgment scene of the harlot representing Babylon. In verse 1, we're told of the great harlot who sits on many waters. The identity of the term many waters is revealed to us in Revelation 17, verse 15, which says, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. So the harlot's authority will be universal. The entire world will be committed to this false Babylonian system. Her influence will not only reach kings of the earth, but all unbelievers will be carried away and caught up in this final false religion. They will literally be intoxicated with the Antichrist false world religion, and they're going to give their hearts and souls to spiritual fornications. 
So next we see in Revelation 17.3 that John is carried away into a wilderness where he sees a woman sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman is the great Babylonian harlot that we described in verses 1 and 2, and the beast is the Antichrist, which we saw in earlier chapters. Initially, the Antichrist kingdom will be of a religious nature, so the Antichrist will support the woman or the religious Babylon. The woman will be sitting on a scarlet beast, which is the Antichrist, and she herself will be clothed in purple and scarlet. Scarlet is usually associated with splendor, royalty, and sin. So setting himself above God, the Antichrist will take for himself the names and titles that belong to God. The Antichrist will take for himself all that is God's, including his people, but in his unbridled arrogance, he will also take for himself the names and titles that belong to God alone. He will not only blaspheme God by what he claims, but he will blaspheme God by what he says. We read in Daniel 7.25, he, the Antichrist, shall speak words against the Most High. I was watching Aladdin with the grandkids. At the end of the movie, the character Jafar claimed he was the greatest sorcerer and had built an empire history could not ignore. He wanted to be the most powerful being in the universe, claiming he could destroy cities and kingdoms. This, of course, made me think of the Antichrist. The Antichrist will claim to be God, performing miracles, seducing the unbelievers to worship and follow him. The scarlet beast is next described having seven heads and ten horns. As we will see from verses 9 through 10, the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits, representing seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come. This represents seven past, present, and future governments. This alliance with the ten kings means they too will rule as subordinates to the Antichrist. The harlot will embrace and include all unredeemed from kings and rulers to common people. And as I mentioned, we see the harlot dressed in purple and scarlet, which represents royalty, nobility, and wealth. She'll be very, very attractive. In addition, the harlot adorned herself with gold and precious stones and pearls. And typical of prostitutes, they attract attention with bright colors, fine clothing, and sparkling jewelry. Ladies, think of some of the heresies spewed from our pulpits today, promising your best life ever. If you pray hard enough, God will answer. God wants you to be happy. Believing any of these lies will only lead to an eternity without God. Don't be drawn away by the glitz and glamour that they may offer, but look to the solid teaching of the pulpit. To further entice her victims, the harlot holds a gold cup, wanting to make her victims drunk so she can steal whatever they have. But this harlot's cup is full of abominations and of the unclean things of her immorality. Babylon will be the center of all false, idolatrous, blasphemous worship in the end times. 
So we see all idolatry is an abomination to God, and the idolatry of the Antichrist will be the worst. Prostitutes in Rome also identified themselves by name. Thus, in verse 5, we see the name, the mother of harlots, a name which we explained earlier. We see her pictured drunk, not with alcohol, but with the blood of the saints. The picture is the harlot, the mother of false religion, who as a murderer drew immense pleasure from the killings of the saints to the point of drunkenness. When John saw this vision in verse 6, he marveled greatly. But this is not a positive reaction. Rather, it's a reaction of confusion, astonishment, and fright. How could such an outwardly beautiful woman be so deadly? Verses 7 through 14 explain the harlot. And the angel said to me, why do you wonder? I'll tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has seven heads and horns. The beast that you saw was, is not, and is about to come up out of the abyss and go to destruction. And those who dwell on the earth whose name has not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will wonder when they see the beast that he was and is not and will come. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits, and they are seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other yet to come, and when he comes, he must remain a little while. The beast which was and is not is himself also an eighth and is one of the seven, and he goes to destruction. So the ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have not received a kingdom, but they received authority as kings from the beast for just one hour. These have one purpose, and they give their power and authority to the beast. They will wage war against the lamb, and the lamb will overcome them. Because he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and those who are with him are the called and chosen and faithful. Sorry. That was the that was the first. I'm so sorry. The... They will wage war against the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, because he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with him are the called and chosen and faithful. Sorry about that. One can only imagine how confusing and overwhelming these visions must have been to John. Back in verse 7, we see John wondering over the mystery of the woman. If we move down to verse 18, we see the angel revealing to John the identity of this woman. The verse reads, the woman whom you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. The angel is telling John, don't be confused, don't worry, I will explain the relationship between the woman and the beast. But before explaining this, the relationship, the angel gives John a long description of the beast. This is the beast that was mortally wounded and lived, as we read about in Revelation 13.3. This is the beast who was and is not and is about to come. This is a reference to his faked death and resurrection. This is the Antichrist, the satanic ruler of the last and most powerful empire in human history. He is Satan's instrument whom Satan will use to attack Israel, persecute believers, and conquer the world for himself as he opposes Christ. 
This false prophet will use his alleged miracles to fool those who dwell on the earth, referring to the unbelievers whose names are not written in the book of life. He will deceive the whole world into worshiping the Antichrist, who is indwelt by a powerful demon from the abyss. Only the elect, those saved during the tribulation, will not be deceived. The beast has seven heads, which are seven mountains or hills, which the woman sits on. The mountains represent seven world empires led by rulers, five of which have fallen. Those fallen empires are Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece. The one existing empire is Rome. And the one not yet is Antichrist's final world empire. To remain a little while means this empire will be short. So in chapter 13, verse 5, we saw that the Antichrist will be given authority to act for three and a half years, which is the second half of the tribulation. The Antichrist will be one of the seven kings before his supposed demise and resurrection, but afterwards, he will be the eighth king, which we see in verse 11. The ten kings will be the Antichrist's future empire and will be given authority to wage war against the Lamb at the Battle of Armageddon for one hour. We don't literally mean 60 minutes, but it is a figure of speech which means a short while. So then in verses 16 to 17, the angel said, And the ten horns which you saw, and the beast, these will hate the harlot, and will make her desolate and naked, and will eat her flesh, and will burn her up with fire. For God has put in their hearts to execute his purpose by having a common purpose, and by giving their kingdom to the beast, until the words of God will be fulfilled." Having used the harlot and the religious system to help him gain control of the world, the beast, which is the Antichrist, and the ten horns, which are the ten kings, will turn on the harlot and completely obliterate the false religious system. The Antichrist will want the world, the whole world, to worship him and him alone. This is all in the sovereign plan of God. It is God who will put it in the hearts of Antichrist followers to execute his purpose by giving their kingdom to the beast. All these false religions will ultimately be destroyed because this is God's plan. Okay, so this brings us to chapter 18, the last chapter before the return of Christ to set up his kingdom in chapter 19. This chapter deals with the destruction of the commercial Babylon or the political Babylon, the final form of world government under the Antichrist. This is the last judgment of man's last rule. This is the global system of the latter days. With the words, after these things in verse 1, we see a change from one vision to another, but there's no change in chronological time. We saw Babylon as the great prostitute in chapter 17, and now in chapter 18, we see her economic downfall. Babylon is the capital of the entire world, the center of the universal kingdom of darkness. And although Babylon is a system, it is a system centered in a city which may well be the city of Babylon. This Babylon could be a rebuilt city, 
but it is the symbol of a world rejecting God. In verses 1 to 3, we read, After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illumined with his glory. And he cried out with a mighty voice, saying, Fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. John saw another angel having great authority and being so glorious that the darkened earth was illuminated by his splendor. And with a mighty voice that everyone could hear, this angel brought the final message of destruction of the evil world system of the Antichrist, namely Babylon. The judgment predicted in uh, chapter 14, verse 8, will now be carried out. Babylon being the picture of every uh, kind of evil, sexual immorality, idolatry, greed, and oppression will now come to its final judgment because all the nations, kings, and merchants will fall into a religious stupor being heavily seduced by the Antichrist. The Antichrist's evil religious and commercial empire will spread its evil influence on all the nations. All the nations, kings, and merchants will be enticed and succumb to the seductiveness of her immorality, idolatry, and false gods. Verse 2b states, she had become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit. It was in the vicinity of Babylon that 200 million formerly bound demons were released at the sound of the sixth trumpet. Demons released from the abyss at the sound of the fifth trumpet. And those cast from heaven with Satan will all be combined in Babylon. Babylon had become a place of demons as she was given over to demonism and depravity. Very depressing, isn't this? (laughs) Are you getting that? In Revelation 18, 4 to 5, John continues, I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive of her plagues, for her sins have piled up as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Another voice is calling the elect to have nothing to do with the city. His plea is to avoid the temptation to get caught up in the system. Undoubtedly, there will be temptation to compromise just to survive, to eat, to buy, or to sell goods. But they must stand strong and flee the temptation lest they get caught up before it falls. This may also be a last evangelical, evangelistic call to God's elect to repent and to come to faith in Christ. They are to flee the temptation of getting caught up in the world system. This message to remaining excuse me this message to remaining believers is the same plea that we see in Genesis 19 12 to 13 where the angel's message to Lot was to get out of Sodom before God's judgment. Ladies 1 John 2:15 says do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world the love of the Father is not in him. 
We are called to serve our living God, not to love the things of the world. We're in this world, but we are not to be a part of it. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Don't conform yourself to this world. Be a light in this darkened age. In verses 6 to 8, the angel calls for God to judge Babylon. Pay her back even as she has paid, and give back to her double according to her deeds. In the cup which she has mixed, mix twice as much for her. To the degree that she glorified herself, lived sensuously, to the same degree, give her torment and mourning. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen, and I am not a widow, and will never see mourning. For this reason, in one day, her plagues will come, pestilence and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For the Lord God who judges her is strong. It's payback time. This is a plea for vengeance. The saints are saying, enough. The angel calls for God to judge Babylon, to repay her double according to her deeds, and to receive a double portion of God's wrath. Double has the sense of fullness or completeness. God also ordained a double payment for penalty in the Mosaic law. In Exodus 22, 4, it states, if the stolen beast is found alive in his possession, whether it is an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double. Verse 7, if a, man gives, if a man gives to his neighbor money or goods to keep safe, and it is stolen from the man's house, then if the thief is found, he shall pay double. The severity of this punishment fits the crime. Double has been her iniquity, double will be her punishment. And because of the cup of wickedness we see in chapter 17, verse 2, God will use that cup for his wrath. In verse 7, the angel calls on a God a third time for vengeance when he says, repay her or Babylon for these three specific sins. She glorified herself. God said in Isaiah 42, 8, I will not give my glory to another. She lived sensuously. 1 Timothy 5, 6 says, but she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. And third, she was proud, self-sufficient, and overestimating her power. So for these three sins, Babylon, in one day, meaning an instant, her plagues will come, she will receive torment and mourning, which literally means torture that leads to grief. This is a perfect picture of hell, unimaginable torment with absolutely no relief. The plagues are specific judgments on the city, which may be connected to the seventh bowl judgment. So God's vengeance is certain, and it will be carried out. So we saw judgment pronounced in verses 1 through 3. Judgment can be avoided in verses 4 to 5. Judgment was defined in verses 6 to 8. Now we will see judgment lamented in verses 9 through 20. In these verses, we will see three groups of people affected and lamenting over the destruction of their city, commerce. The complete destruction of Babylon brings no remorse, 
no repentance over their sin, but on the contrary, they lament and they mourn over the destruction of the city Babylon. First, we see the kings will lament as they watch Babylon destroyed in verse 9. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her. The first group to mourn the loss of Babylon includes the ten kings who ruled under the Antichrist authority, as well as the rest of the world's leaders under them. As they watch the Antichrist empire be destroyed, they cry out, Woe, woe, the great city Babylon, the strong city. For in one hour your judgment has come. Amazingly, after all the, after all the judgments that God pronounced on the earth and people previously, these leaders were not shocked to see the great and strong city destroyed in one hour. The second group are the merchants, verse 11. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore. Despite the seal judgments, trumpet judgments, and bowl judgments again, it was still business as normal. In this collapsing world, they were still doing business. How in the world? I don't know, but they were. Now commerce will collapse with no one buying merchandise, and the merchants join in the weeping and the mourning. So John lists 28 categories of stuff. It will affect every aspect of life, from precious materials, building materials, spices, food, and animals, to the very bodies and souls of people which were slaves. Uh, they could have been people captured in war or kidnapped at, at sea by pirates. But the lamenting will continue as the merchants realize they will never possess their financial source resources again. Their fear is not for the city, but for themselves and their livelihood. Their materialistic passions are gone forever. They have lost their wealth, which was their idol. I have a powerful quote from John Phillips. He, and I quote, what a catalog of opulence. What a vivid picture of a great commercial city trafficking in every luxury the heart could desire. This is the world's great vanity fair. It offers articles of adornment and display, beautiful things to grace the mansions of the world's uh, millionaires. It deals in exotic spices and perfumes, in delicacies for the table, in provisions for banquet, in slaves and in souls of men. And Babylon imported all these things. Babylon's demand for this world's goods was insatiable. Ever it clamored for more and more. This is a picture of how they lived and what the city looked like. John continues with the third group who make their living from the seas. Verses, verse 17b, and all shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors and all whose trade is on the sea stood far off. Babylon was an important distribution center. The sea is how the goods made it in and out of the city. But now there will be no goods transported. They will all suffer from the fall of Babylon's economic power. In crying out, woe, woe, the great city, the sailors threw dust on their heads, which was an expression of the pain, suffering, and grief they will endure. But still, no remorse. 
as the wicked people of Babylon are mourning and lamenting over the destruction of the city and not their sin, heaven is rejoicing. The second angel from verse 4 who exhorted God's people to come out of the city is calling the redeemed saints, apostles, and prophets in heaven to rejoice. Their rejoicing is not over the deaths of those who rejected Christ, but rather they rejoice because God's righteousness and justice has prevailed. I'll read verse 20. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. Verses 21 to 23 go on to say, Then a strong angel took up a stone like a great millstone, threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence. It will not be found any longer. And the sound of harpists and musicians and flute players and trumpeters will not be heard in you any longer. And the sound of a mill will not be heard in you any longer. And the light of a lamp will not shine in you any longer. And the voice of the bride groom and bride will not be heard in you any longer, and the light of a lamp will not shine in you any longer, and the voice of the bridegroom and bride will not be heard in you any longer, for your merchants were the great men of the earth, because all the nations were deceived by your sorcery. Another strong angel appeared in John's vision, giving further illustration of Babylon's destruction by comparing it to a great millstone being thrown into the sea. This mighty angel describes how Babylon is cast suddenly, violently, and eternally into the sea to be seen no more. The destruction of Babylon is so complete, all everyday activities, functions, and life will no longer take place. It will be completely snuffed out. There will be no music, no work, no one preparing food, no light shining, and no marriage. No normal activities of human life will take place. Babylon will be so destroyed that it will never rise again, as we see predicted by the Old Testament prophets. So three final reasons for Babylon's judgment are found in verses 23 and 24, which states, For your merchants were the great men of the earth, because all the nations were deceived by your sorcery, and in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. So first, the merchants had become rulers and powerful men in their wealth. They blasphemed God. They worshipped money as their idol. Secondly, Babylon deceived the nations with sorcery, using magic and occult practices. They seduced the nation. Lastly, Babylon was judged for her murderous slaughter of God's people. But amen, amen, God has avenged the blood of his saints. Praise God. Ladies, as I said, that day is coming. I'm at a loss for words in thinking about the judgment that is yet to come for those who have rejected Christ. Even in the most tumultuous times, there will be those that continue to reject Christ. I plead with you to examine your hearts, to affirm your relationship of the one and only that can save your soul, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I encourage you as well to live a life worthy of the calling by which you have been saved. And I urge you to continue to proclaim loudly to all that will hear the message of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so, so very much for your word, Lord. We thank you. Praise God. Hallelujah. You are coming again. And you are coming for all of us, Lord, those that are, have a relationship with you, that have trusted in your in the blood on the cross, Lord. And so I pray that you would send us out, Lord, now to glorify you in all that we say and do. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.